0: Amen. Well, just take a seat if you would. If you brought a Bible, then open it up to the book of Genesis. We'll be on the very first page of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. If you do not have a Bible, we have several that we would like you to borrow or even have if you'd like, just like the one I'm using up here, and we'll be in Genesis chapter 1. I'll even tell you the page number. It may be page 1. There you go. So uh, if you're a guest, we're really uh, happy that you're here. Uh, we are a new church that began less than a year ago. And as you can see, God is really doing some incredible things in our midst. I'm encouraged every week as I hear stories from people about uh, how, how they've had, a chance, had an opportunity to impact those that are around them in their jobs, in, in their neighborhoods, and, and just in their everyday walk of life. Uh, I was really encouraged this morning again because not only are the people of Neartown Church excited about what God is doing through Neartown Church... But there are other people. And I just wanted to let the people know that uh, this, week, this morning I got a, a message from uh, a pastor friend of mine. He happened to be my youth pastor when I was a teenager. And uh, he uh, called me and said that their church took up an offering in December. And they want to give it to something that's going on in the world that they can be excited about. And so right now as we speak there's a check in the mail. It's somewhere in the neighborhood of between... One dollar and a hundred million dollars is what he said. So we're just going to keep it, uh, keep praying, maybe increase on the way. So we're excited about that. We have a lot of uh, kids in our church and many of them are downstairs, but the second through fifth graders are in here. And so we allow them to stay here for part of the service. And now we're going to invite those of you that are either second through fifth to make your way with Miss Natalie to your Bible study. So if you want to join them, if you're a guest and you're a second through fifth grader, then please, please do that. We're starting a new series where, over the course of four months, I'm going to be teaching through the entire Bible. Now, there's much to be said from the Bible, and there are uh, many conversations that could be had about what the Bible says. But what I'll be doing is taking the 17 highest points of the Bible and teaching them to you. Now, if you've been a part of our church something that we've done along the way is take a book of the Bible, and I'll just teach through a particular book of the Bible, or, or maybe some of you have attended churches where well, they'll just read some Scripture from the Bible but not teach you a lot about where that Scripture fits in the Bible. We believe that the Bible is God's Word. And so the way to get to know God is to get to know the Bible. And so what I'll be doing is just beginning in Genesis chapter 1 and then catching the high points all the way to the end of Revelation. And what we'll see is a perspective of who God is and who we are, and why that matters. And so this series is going to be called Perspective. You know, the interesting thing about this idea of perspective is that it's helpful to understand the whole thing, to concentrate on a specific part of whatever you're looking at. Right here in my hand, I have something that might illustrate it. Uh, We have quite a few artists in our church, which I'm so proud of because I could never do what many of them do. One of them is Lawton. He's sitting right back over here. Lawton is a graphic designer and is very, very gifted he has been a part of our church from the very beginning, a big part of it. And I asked Lawton if he would bring up his portfolio today to illustrate this idea of what we're doing in the series. What we have here is Lawton's portfolio. Look at Lawton. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about, ladies. All right. And um, Lawton put this together because Lawton's life as a graphic designer is like a story. And what he did was he put in here... Art projects that have, have, have he's done along the way. Now, what we could do is open this up, like to this one here, where he designed the website for the Red Hot Chili Peppers some years ago or Nine Inch Nails, so he's done some pretty incredible work. We could ask Lawton, Lawton, tell us about your inspiration. What's the story behind this design for Red Hot Chili Peppers? And Lawton would be able to say, well, I designed this while I was sitting in uh, the kitchen in Los Angeles, and I was thinking about this, and this was going on in my life, and so these ideas came out. So there would be a story related to that specific design, right? But to get the real perspective of who Lawton is and who he is as a designer specifically, we would need to look at all of the designs that Lawton has done. So this entire portfolio tells us a story about who Lawton is as a designer and what his intentions or goals are as a designer. And he's very gifted, and so we're thankful to have him. Thanks a lot for letting me use and abuse this this morning. Okay, Um, so this is what is happening in the Bible is we're going to take specific stories from the Bible, look at them very carefully, and I'm going to help you see how those specific stories fit into the whole of who God is and what He's doing to give you a perspective, not only on who God is, but who you are and what your life could be like if you genuinely followed God, you genuinely gave your life to God. It's a journey that that we are inviting you to as a church. So if you want to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, the very first story in the Bible is a story of creation. Now before I read Genesis chapter 1, I will tell you this. We have a tool that's going to accompany this series, and what it is is it's called the Bible Overview. And this Bible Overview is available to you. We actually have a stack of them in the back. If you want one on your way out, please take it. We would ask that if you would donate $5 to cover the cost, that would be great, but we don't want money to keep you from getting one. And so if you just need one or you think donating $5 is foolish, just take one and we'll let God deal with you. Um, So this is a Bible overview. What this is actually is this is 15 sections that will help you do some reading during the week to follow along with what we're going to be doing over the course of months. There's 15 sections in here. This series is actually going to be 17 weeks, but uh, we're going to uh, give this to you as a tool. Many of you are asking, what Bible passages are you going to teach? How can we uh, read the Bible during the week in preparation for the sermons? And so this would be a great tool for you. I would suggest that if you're married or you have a roommate, that you get one and that you all take a time every week and you sit down and you read this together. Just read the passages together and, and, and get yourselves thinking about what God's Word says. So that's a really a great tool for you. So the very first story of the Bible is the story that's found about creation and what happened to bring about all that we see with our, with our eyes. And so what I'd like to do is... is We're not going to stand during the entire reading of the scripture, but just out of respect for God's word, I'm going to have you stand for the reading of the first two verses. So would you stand to your feet? We like to stand during the reading of God's word because we believe it's important. Just the first two verses and then we'll sit down and I'll teach and read the rest. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it goes on to say, in the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the earth. I think right here what we're seeing for the very first time is a reference to how God is made up. We believe in our understanding of scripture that God is one being with three persons. So you're one being with one person. But God Almighty is one being with three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So here we see the work of the Father in creation and also the work of the Spirit in creation. So what God is doing is He's ready to make this formless, dark, water-like substance functional for a specific purpose. Think about it. He's bringing order to chaos. And what we'll see here in this series, in, in this message is we'll get a perspective of who God really is. And I believe that as your perspective of who God is becomes more and more acute or more and more clear and more and more right, more and more biblical, then your, your desire to follow him and to live a life of worship to him will increase. So this morning, I'm not going to give you a bunch of rules on how you can be a better person. Because the reality is you won't want to be a better person unless you know how awesome God is and how worshipful and meaningful your life will become once you live in, with respect to God and how awesome he is. It's, it's, uh, has anybody ever seen um, the Ben Affleck movie called Paycheck? Raise your hand if you've ever seen, seen that movie. Yeah, it's kind of like a B movie. Okay, let's be honest. Uh, ben Affleck is in one of these movies, and, and, and here's, here's how it goes. There, the story is that he is uh, paid money to, uh, to, to reverse engineer electronics. And so he reverse engineers them and then builds on them for a, comp- a competing company. And then after he does it all, he takes an injection, or they do some stuff in his brain that basically causes him to lose the memory of ever having done it. And he takes a big paycheck for it. And so there's a scene in the movie where uh, he's done this. He's, he's done something where he, he has, uh, for over the course of about three years, he has uh, done a project. He didn't know it, but he was doing something illegal. Well, he's had his memory erased, so he's arrested. He doesn't know why he is arrested, because he's lost his memory. So here he is in this room, and the FBI are not giving him a lawyer. You know, one of those scenes, and they're, they, they got him in, in these... Um, you know, how they do, in a chair that won't let him move. And, and, and there he is, and all of a sudden, he's stuck. He realizes it. He realizes that something has gone wrong. He's done something he shouldn't have done. I think about, it's kind of like some people walking around with sin, not realizing that what they have done is actually wrong until they understand how their sin fits into God's cosmic purpose and, and so all of a sudden, he's, he's stuck here, and he realizes, whoa, something, I, I've done something wrong. And, and, uh, and so he tries to get out. Well, this guy has a, is, is relaxing in the room, and he goes over, and he, and, he, and he takes a smoke, and the smoke sets off the fire alarm. And so the room fills with smoke trying some sort of stuff. Okay, so the room, he's in this room, and he cannot see. So here he is, guilty. He cannot see. He needs help. So he finds this pair of glasses and he puts them on. And these glasses have this amazing power. They're made by Oakley, as you can imagine. Uh, They have this amazing power to allow him to see in the midst of the smoke. And then he gets out, he gets freed up. And when I saw this movie just yesterday, actually, um, I was thinking about how this is a great analogy to how beginning a relationship with Jesus Christ works. You are uh, walking around kind of in smoke. And no matter what you do, you cannot see. You cannot really see things the way that you ought to be able to see them. When God comes along and hands you, through Jesus Christ, this pair of lens, which is the forgiveness of your sins, and it happens through your faith in Jesus as Lord, you put this lens on, and all of a sudden you can see things the way that you couldn't formally see it. You can see things clearly. You get a new perspective of who others are and who you are and how to get out of whatever you're in the midst of. One thing that I want you to understand about God right from the beginning as we talk about him creating is that his words are powerful. When God God speaks, things happen. Now, what the writer here and the way that he writes Genesis 1 wants to show is not so much that he made something but that he said something. We see here something about God that describes God that ought to make us, ought to move us to believe that he's powerful and he's strong. So what does he do day one? Look there in verse three. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. What we believe here is that the order that he's bringing to this chaos is time. In verse 6, we see him bringing the, the, the right environment for weather. Look at verse 6, day 2. Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. What in the world does this mean? Well, the author doesn't have in mind here a description of the structure of things. Now, those that first read this passage, those ancient Near East listeners to the story, and then eventually readers of the story, would have read this description of what was going on as if God had designed this solid dome. So if you know anything about ancient Near East history, or maybe you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, and one reason is because the biblical, and your understanding the biblical description of creation is impossible, well, you should know that those very first listeners would have heard this as if there were a solid dome in the, in the atmosphere, Now, it doesn't mean that this is what the author is saying, but that's all they knew. That's all they knew to think about what was going on. So, and and what we must understand about this passage even is that it's not even so much a description of structure. Genesis chapter 1 may trip you up in your faith. If you're a skeptic and maybe you're here an atheist or whatever, uh, it may may trip you up. But what you must understand is how to read it. It's not describing the structure of things, but more the function of things. How are things working? Well, God has designed... In day two, so that weather is possible. He's, he's done something to the atmosphere to make weather possible. The ancient Near East listener, those people that lived thousands of years ago, would have heard it as a solid dome. And they also believe, actually, that beyond that dome was the physical heaven and beyond that dome were storehouses. If you can think of times in the Bible where, where it's talking about God opening the storehouses and pouring out a blessing, well, they understood that beyond the solid dome were storehouses, and that's where God kept the grain and any other thing that they would perceive to be a blessing, and he would pour it out. That was their understanding of it. But what we know is that there, he's not describing the structure of things, he's describing the function of things, and here's what he's describing, that weather is now possible. Day three, what has he done? Well, he's provided from chaos an orderly agricultural system. Verse 9, and God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. What he's done here is he's bringing together uh, two elements designed to provide vegetation and agriculture. Soil and water sources on one hand and reproduction of plants through seed on the other, providing for vegetation. Here's in in more simple terms. God made it so that plants can bear seed and those seeds grow into new plants. This is what he's done on day three. And so once he gets through day one, two, and three, he's provided a system. He's, He's made it possible. The stage is set. Now, I want you to think about this idea that he's setting the stage for something very purposeful and very specific. He's bringing order to chaos for something very important. Now... As you can tell, if you've ever been here before, we gave you a new perspective in the room this morning. And we used to meet facing that way. Well, this is the first week we've met facing this way. And, And before any of this stuff is here, it's a pile of items. It's a formless pile of items. And so, what has to happen is someone has to sovereignly say, let's put these things together in an orderly way for a purpose. And you might think it's me sovereignly say it, but it's actually Andrew. He's in charge. And so Andrew, who works with me, says, here's what I want done. I want for you to put these PVC pipes together. And, of course, he has very involved in it, just like God is involved in creation. And he's, he's putting things together. He's laying out the rugs. He's putting the drums where they belong and the microphones where they belong. He's, cooking, he's hooking the cords where they belong. And it sets a stage so that living creatures can give glory to God Almighty. This is what he's about to do. He's about to provide some performers. People that are going to live on this stage that he's created. Look at verse 14. The first performers are the sun and the moon and the stars. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. The purpose of these items Is is captured here in the next part of that verse. Let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. These things are used by God for a purpose. And then we get into created things. Day five, God is going to create the sea creatures and the winged creatures. Verse 20. God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the skies. Sea creatures and winged creatures. And then we see in day six that he creates the land creatures. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds. Goes on to say, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. Do you see what's happening? God is... Providing or, 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 or creating, uh, setting in onto this stage performers for his purposes. After each one of these parts of creation, he says something. And what he says is, it's good. He looked at it and said, this is good. Now this has always struck me as interesting throughout the years as I've been reading the Bible and 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 at first, I would look at this and say, well, did God wonder whether or not what he was creating was going to look good or be good? I mean, Lot, when he designs, I'm guessing there are times when he begins a project, he looks at it at the end and says, ah, that's not too good. That's not my best. Well, but but God, I mean, he's infinite, right? He's omniscient. He knows everything. He's all powerful. He's omnipotent. Uh, And so when he creates something and he brings order to that which is formerly without order, brings function to the the thing which has no function uh, prior to him speaking it into existence, uh, it seems that it would be good. When he says it is good, what he means here is it's without error. There's no problem in it. And it sets the stage actually for next week's message, which is going to be about sin and how sin has broken things and caused things to be distorted. But when God says all of these things, day one through five, uh, he says they are good. the first part of day six, they are good. But there's one item he's described as very good. And that's humans. He's created all this. His creative purpose is to prepare the land for humans. For human beings. He brought order to the formless substance for human beings. For you and for I. Now, I need to... Take a moment here and speak to one issue that comes up. And that is related to the age of the earth. I'll get back to this specific passage regarding humans. But I wonder if there are some of you here that have not yet placed your faith in Jesus as Lord. Because you have a hard time believing that God could have created in the way that you've heard He's created. Now, what we must do is look at the word day... As it says he's created each of these things in a day. And there have been some sticking points along the way. In trying to harmonize what the Bible says. If you take the word day as being 24 literal hours. 24 hour period. It's difficult to harmonize that with what science has revealed. Now I want you to know that those very first listeners. Would have interpreted the word day as 24 literal hours. But their interpretation is not necessarily inspired by God. See, throughout my own life, I have heard people, respected scholars, that have argued that if you do not believe the earth was created in seven literal days, then you are not a child of God. I've heard them say that, I mean, passionately, vehemently. And... and I have wrestled with that myself because what we must consider is that science has revealed things about the age of the earth. It really has. And we look foolish if we say, well, but what the Bible says is seven literal days. And so we interpret the Bible in in that way. And we say, well, science. And so we, we posit science versus faith. And then what happens is people of science think that you're dumb if you believe in what faith says. So honestly, Genesis chapter 1 is very important for some of you maybe. Again, it's keeping you from believing the rest of the Bible because you have a hard time believing in, in what people interpret the first chapter to mean. What I want you to know is this. Is that whether or not the earth was created in 24-hour periods cannot be, con- can, cannot be decided conclusively from this passage. It cannot. There are a variety of meanings to the word day. It could mean 24-hour period. It could mean era. It could mean time period. It could mean a variety of things. It's interesting, really, because when this conversation comes up, it reminds me that, there are, that we must be careful in how we approach the Bible. We must approach the Bible asking questions that were meant to be answered by the Bible. The first part of the Bible is not meant to give you the exact age of the earth nor is it meant to give you a weapon that you can use to fight against people who do not share your faith in Jesus Christ. That's not it. The first part of the Bible was meant to do one thing. Answer the question, who? Who created? And what is he like? Who created all things? You might ask. You know, those people that do not read the Bible as God's inspired word, um... Some of them have chosen not to believe it because of this issue. And they would share with, with an understanding like Charles Darwin, for instance, who said that the Old Testament manifestly offers a false history of the earth. But the problem with Charles Darwin's understanding and the understanding of some of those that are skeptics is that the way that they're trying to read the Bible is not the way the Bible was meant to be read. It's not written as the history of the earth in the same sense comparable to the modern meaning of natural history. So Charles Darwin could argue against those people who say that the earth was created in seven 24-hour periods. He could. I'm not saying that they're wrong or that he's right. I'm saying that he could. But Charles Darwin cannot, or anybody else that holds to this evolutionary understanding of creation or anything that's not biblical they cannot argue against what the Bible was meant to answer. What the Bible means to answer is who created all things and what is he like? And what we see is that there is a God who is awesome. And he doesn't make things. He speaks things into existence. This is who God is. This is who we worship. Make no mistake about it. This this time of the year is important to remember that The Christian faith is about much more than a little baby that was born in a manger, which is a really, really sweet story. This little baby was God in the flesh and has always existed in the form of one being three persons. This little baby grew up, laid his life on a cross so that we could be restored to God. This is what the Bible says. This First chapter of the book of Genesis is meant to answer who. So if you're going to disagree with what the Bible says, disagree with, if you're going to choose, choose to disagree with the answers that the Bible asks questions for. And so the Bible is asking questions for, and I know I'm repeating myself, but it's so important, and we miss it so many times, is the question is who. Will you believe who created we can't squeeze out of the Bible answers for questions that the Bible does not intend to answer. Um, for, as an example, this morning when I woke up and I chose which shirt to put on, I did not search the Bible. Did you? Did you look in the Bible and say, okay, should I wear the blue shirt or the gray shirt or the, the, the skirt, you know, whatever? No, you didn't. Why? Because you, just, you, you made a decision based on a value that you have. And we believe that the Bible certainly shapes our value and understanding of how we should behave. Like, I believe that I should dress modestly and, and nothing to, you know, I didn't come up here in like a, a speedo and a tank top. I mean, that would be awkward. That would be ungodly and not worshipful at all. Colossians 3 says that we should do everything in word or deed unto the Lord. And so I think about, I want to dress in a way that would be respectful to the Lord and respectful to other people. That's how we make the decision, right? But I think, well, it's the same thing. We shouldn't look for answers uh, or we shouldn't Find answers that are not meant to be asked of the Bible. Who did all this? Who created? It's a God who's so awesome that He can speak things to existence. And he can, he can orchestrate. He bring order to that which was formerly chaotic. And this God chose at one point in history to create things that are good. But He also created a being described as very Good. Look at verse 26. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, another allusion to the Trinity. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. God creates humans. We read in verse chapter 2, which is kind of a commentary of creation that we find in chapter 1, that God made a man out of the dust of the ground. Chapter 2, verse 7 says that the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature. Why did he create him? To work the ground, which is an act of worship, and to enjoy all that God had given him. Then God created woman. Chapter 2, verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. On down to verse 21, so the Lord God God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of the ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord brought, the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woe man. Woman. God created humans, and when he got done creating them, he said, you're very good. There's this phrase in there that says that God created them in his own image. And it's a really important phrase. And what we'll see next week is that the image that God created in humanity was distorted by sin and continues to be distorted by sin. What in the world does this idea that we're created in his own image mean? Well, in the ancient Near East, which is the historical context, an image was believed in some ways to carry the essence of that which it represented. So if I took a photo of you and I held it up, the ancient Near East listener would have looked at it and said that that photo carries the essence of who you are. It's more than just a picture. It's kind of a little bit of who you are. Uh, the kings believed it deeply. and In fact, what they would do was they would post pictures of themselves in whatever area they wanted to uh, establish their authority. And so people would see this picture and they would say, well, wow, this is, this is kind of like the king is here. So this king is an authority. So when the Bible says that we're made in the image of God, what it means is that we represent him. There's, a, there's something in us that should remind people of who God is. There's, there's, we're not... We're not not God, and we'll never be God. That's a a wrong understanding of what it means to be a child of God. But there's something in us that's supposed to represent him. And there's something in us that can be like him. I have four children, and um, our youngest is 10 months old. His name is Dryden. He is a wonderful, wonderful baby. He is the best of all of ours. I tell people that if we had had him first, we probably killed our second because he is so special. I mean, we wouldn't have even thought that they were supposed to cry and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, but it's interesting to watch him grow up when, you know, when he was, when Jeannie gave birth to him, he came out and, um, I mean, he is kind of, he's a part of us. He's like us. And we tell our kids all the time that, that you came from mom and dad. So, so you're the essence of who we are. And so, when, when Dryden came out, he, it's kind of the essence of who Jeannie and I are. And, I mean, you can't really see that in him yet. I mean, people say it. You know the whole deal where they come to the hospital, oh, he looks just like you. He's got your nose. Or he's got your big head, is what they always say to our babies. Um, he's got your big fat head, Russell. Um, you know, or he's got your hair. He's got this or that. But really, I mean, you know, because, I mean, if you took 10 people, five of them say he looks like Jeannie. Five of them say he looks like me. That's kind of the way it goes, right? But, but what happens is over time, this. this part of us that's in him becomes more and more evident, not just in the way that he looks, but in how he acts as he grows up into his role as a created being, as a part of who we are. When we think about the image of God, this is the opportunity we have is to grow up looking more and more and more like God. And as you grow up, if you look less and less and less like God, then it means that you are not restored to God through faith in Jesus Christ. You're not being restored. This is what it means. It means you're not a child of God. It's really incredible consider what it means for us to be made in the image of God. I hope you're encouraged by that. God is finished after six days and on the seventh day he rested. There's one final observation I want to make about God and I want To make it and hopefully leave an idea in your mind. And that is that God is purposeful. He's purposeful. He's not making decisions arbitrarily for whatever reason. He's purposeful. When he decided to bring order to the chaos in the cosmos, to the heavens, and what existed, that watery, formless substance, He decided to provide time and the weather and agricultural systems and then to put the, the sun and the moon and the stars and then to provide the sea creatures and the land creatures and eventually human beings. It was for a purpose. There was design for a purpose. You know, we tend to add chaos to our lives and busyness to our lives, but the very nature of God is to provide order and to provide peace. Some of you are looking in some place other than God for order and for peace. And let me tell you, you won't find it. You absolutely will not find it. You will not find it in your job. You will not find it in some amount of money. You will not find it in an earthly relationship. I mean, you'll find it in temporary doses. But for your heart and for your life to begin being ordered and to be marked marked by the word peace, then you must enter into a relationship with God Almighty through Jesus Christ so that he can begin restoring the image of God in you. God is purposeful. God has a purpose for your life. And his purpose for your life ultimately is this. That you would reflect his glory to other people and you would enjoy it. You would live with great joy knowing that your life shows other people what God Almighty is like. I wonder if that's how you're living. Do you believe God is purposeful? And are you living in that way? What we'll see throughout the course of the scripture is that the only way that the image in us that's distorted by sin can be restored is through Jesus Christ. That's the good news of the Bible is that God has provided a way.